Myself, Lauren, and Leo. Welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 261. This time around, you are hanging out with multi award winning actor Catherine Isabel. Revisit her iconic roles in The Order, the Ginger Snaps trilogy, and a look ahead to the future of the franchise. Find out what she was watching on set during Freddy vs. Jason, and a peek behind the madness and mayhem of collaborating with the Sasuke sisters on American Mary and Cena Weevil 2. Unearth the early 2000s Halloween horror classic, also starring Ben Kingsley as a ghoulish magician, Spooky House. Hear how you can interact with Catherine yourself while she plays video games on Twitch surrounded by over 150 plants. And get familiar with her new project, Night of the Animated Dead, and perhaps her most intense role to date in the supernatural drama, The Incredible, The Green Sea. Episode 261 starts now. This is Catherine Isabel. You are taking a bite out of another terrifying episode of Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew. Oh my God. You think I want to go back to being nobody? You're so dead. normal teenage girls. I'm not dying in this room with you! I'm not dying! I think she's gone. You know, we're almost not even related anymore. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is an exciting and prolific actor who's inspired and daring choices, both in the types of roles she ventures into and the nuance of performances in those roles, have had an enormous impact on cinema. She started her career very young, appearing in the classic TV series MacGyver, a feature film with Martin Sheen and a Joel Schumacher movie, when she was only eight years old. Then came roles in some of the most fun and influential projects of all time, like early episodes of Goosebumps, The X-Files, 1998's Disturbing Behavior. After work on the Gemini-winning Da Vinci's Inquest and First Wave, as a testament to her variety, she starred both in a comedy with Chevy Chase and that same year changed the horror genre forever with her unforgettable portrayal of Ginger in Ginger Snaps, a film that was game-changing for the female voice in genre. It won 10 awards, spawned a trilogy, and turned our guest into an icon and hero for a generation of creators. She went on to work with Christopher Nolan, Pacino, Robin Williams, and Hilary Swank in Insomnia, took on Stephen King's Carrie, was there when Freddie faced Jason, and gave us a Saskatoon's Twins masterpiece, American Mary. She has collected almost a dozen awards while being a part of critically acclaimed shows like Hannibal, Supernatural, Netflix's The Order, and so much more, each time crafting characters that feel so real that they cling to us forever. It is a thrill to see her names in the credits in anticipation of whatever adventure they're about to bring. She can be seen most recently giving the performance of a lifetime in the Green Sea. 
we are honored to welcome Catherine Isabel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was quite an intro. Thank you. Well, well deserved, Catherine. And thank yes. you so much for being here and taking time to hang out with us today. And thank you for your extraordinary work that you continue to explore. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, just simply, how, how are you doing? Oh, you know, just living that pandemic life. I've just turned into a dog hotel somehow. <laughs> um, I had four dogs. I'm down to three dogs. Um, yeah, I'm just living with too many plants and talking to my mom every single day. And that's it. Oh, my God. Yeah, I could see the plant. How many plants do you? Oh, God, I have a lot. I have a, I'm a plant. So I have over 150, I would say. Wow. Yeah, I got obsessed. And I mean, it's great. The air quality in my house is legit. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, I've, I've gone insane. I've gone insane. <laughs> As we all have. Is that something that started <laughs> right. for you, the plants and everything and your love of horticulture during the pandemic or was this before no, too? It, was, it started a couple years before, um, someone like rescued a plant out of the garbage room. And I was like, okay, but I've never, I've never really had plants and, and pets in my house before and stuff because I, I would leave and I would work and I wouldn't be. And I, I guess I felt a little more settled in the last couple of years um, in Vancouver. And yeah, I just, I got too many plants. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great hobby to have. And recently you've been spending some time making yourself available on Twitch for hangouts yeah. and playing games like Boyfriend Dungeon. Boyfriend Dungeon, yeah. uh, Breath of the Wild, um, Red Dead Redemption 2, which I have to finish, but it gets so depressing at the end. I literally don't have the willpower to make it through. Arthur, Arthur's very sick. <laughs> it's all too much. Yeah, no, I started Twitch uh, sort of in the pandemic just to, I needed a project to do because I, I, I was losing track of time and space. And, um, and my friend sort of jokingly said to do that. And it, I, I, the whole project was sort of just me trying to like order the right pieces and plug the right things in. And then I realized at the end when everything was all set up, it was like, oh, fuck, I have to go live now. Like this was the whole lead. Like this is the point of this. And I was like, Oh, that's a whole other thing that's terrifying. But it's been amazing. I've read, like this whole amazing community has sprung up around it, and I like look forward to it now. And it's really, it's really fun, and, and it makes me feel better about the amount of time I spend playing video games. Were you a big gamer before this, or was this something you've kind of discovered? I mean, I, I grew up playing like Super Mario and shit like that. Um, I never really had my own console until a couple years ago. I got like the Nintendo Switch. You know what I mean? And the beginning of the pandemic, I spent like a thousand hours in Animal Crossing. Like, I have control over this village. Everything's fine. There's no pandemic here. Just like, I'll just get in a new panda villager. It's great. Like, <laughs> I, and I think I, I, I bought Zelda Breath of the Wild and I came across the first monster like two years ago. And I was like, oh God, that's way too hard and too scary. And I put it away. And I didn't play it again until the middle of the pandemic. I was like, fuck, what else am I going to do? I'm going to learn how to play this real game. You know, I was good at like Mario Kart. That's all I ever did uh, before this. So, yeah, I mean, now I'm like a gamer, I guess. <laughs> I'm still terrible at everything. Part of the fun, too, is probably just, you <laughs> yeah. know, people love watching people try and figure out these games on Twitch as well. And yeah, and honestly, and like without the chat, I would not complete like half the dungeons and like all the puzzles and shit. I'm like, OK, guys, like just tell me what to do. I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> what have the fan interactions been like through your live streams as far as like, what do you find people are most curious about when they're asking you well, about your career? Oh, I get, I get demands for season three of the order, which I'm sorry, isn't going to happen. Netflix murdered us, but yeah, it's been, it's been really great. It's kind of also because we can't do conventions anymore. Right. 
I'm, I'm actually a high risk person. I was already intubated on life support for Hantavirus, which has a 38% death rate uh, years ago. Oh, wow, so geez. I have to be extra careful. I've already been ventilated. I've already, you know, gone through that experience. Thank you. N- not again. <laughs> so uh, I can't do conventions for the foreseeable future. And I just thought it would be a great place to kind of hang out with fans and answer some questions here and there and just mostly make them help me play video games. Right. <laughs> 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 well, following up on that, following up on that question that people have about Netflix's The Order, for whatever reason, it's not lack of fans, obviously, because it's revered as one of the best Netflix shows ever. And your character specifically amongst fan forums all over the world. Yeah. People love Vera. Is it, you know, this kind of thing is obviously on par for the course in the creative business. What kind of effect if any, does not being able to continue a character's journey have on you or is it better in ways that the journey is left open? No, I mean, I think, I think we really deserved a third season. We really left it on a cliffhanger and we, we really had big plans for how every, I mean, every, every character was left on a huge cliffhanger and, and they had big plans for that. And I, I know that they tried to negotiate maybe like a smaller, a shortened season to at least wrap up the storylines for people and stuff. And, you know, Netflix does what Netflix does according to their mystical al- algorithm. So I would have really preferred to have seen a furtherance, a conclusion to a lot of those stories. Just the way we left it was so heartrending for, for the fans and for us and everybody. I mean, it, we would have appreciated that. But I mean, yeah, I mean, shit happens. Well, in the world of online petitions and everything else and fandoms going rampant, who knows, right? It's- who knows? I mean, I, I, I was very attached to Vera um, and a lot of people were. And yeah, I really would have liked to have seen her story continue or at least complete itself in, you know, in a few more episodes. Sure, sure. Yeah. We've read in interviews that although you revel in characters that are found in, in horror films a lot of times that you aren't necessarily a fan of watching them. Is that true? And can you explain your relationship as a viewer with horror? Yeah, I get in trouble for this a lot because people are really excited to talk to me about horror films. And I don't really, I haven't seen a lot of them. I haven't seen, I was forced to watch audition at some point by the twins. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Okay. I get it. Like, love it. But I'm too susceptible to, terror on a daily basis um i uh, i'm always like oh fuck this is how movies i get children start you know i'm 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 walking with high heels that make a click clack noise in an underground parking lot and i'm like oh fuck this i'm gonna die and my click clacks get faster and faster and faster and my keys are jingling and i get to the door and by the time i get to the door i'm in a full fucking panic and i, I slam the door and there's nothing there and i'm like oh god like now i'm sweating like i'm such an idiot and so I think when I sit, when I do sit down and I consciously choose to watch something, I, I kind of tend for stupid, light, fun shit. I want my brain to turn off. I feel like living in the world, especially right now, is fairly horrific in itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't need to feel more of that anxiety going through my body. You know, I'm already like a high strung anxiety riddled ADD person. I don't need more of that in my life. So I don't consciously seek it out. Like I watched... Um, midsummer like love things like that i'm one of my favorite movies is uh silence of the lambs and apocalypse now like i really i love a psychological thriller i've never been a huge fan of of slashers and the jump scares get me like i know they're coming and they still fucking get me and i'm just like i'm wound up and i need three drinks after a horror movie and it's just not fair so it is disappointing for 
for fans to realize that I we can't communicate on that level about other horror films that I'm not in. They're the most fun to shoot. They are the absolute best. I'm a really nice person because cathartically I get to like murder someone once or twice a year in the most like horrible <laughs> way. And, and, you know, it's just like, it's like those, what are those smash rooms called where you can rent a room with like fake antiques and a baseball bat? And yeah. Just, yeah. Oh, I, I think they're called smash rooms. I think they're called <laughs> yeah. smash rooms. You get to do yeah. that on a regular basis. And so I just like, I don't think I've ever yelled at a person on the street in my life. I'm just like, hello. Like everything's great. I killed a guy last week. It's right. Fun. Exactly. <laughs> right. Leo, you, yeah. had a, you had a question, Leo, jump in, man. <laughs> Yeah, is there is there a is there a particular horror movie that you've watched at any age that just stayed with you that you still find terrifying and hard to watch? Um, let me think of. I mean, I've really done a good job at avoiding avoiding horror movies. My first Freddy Krueger movie I watched on set of Freddy vs. Jason. Are you <laughs> like serious? In the trailer. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, that's what we're doing. Okay, get it. No, I mean, I think there was an episode of X-Files where like the, they're in the Arctic and the worm goes in the ear and that freaked me out. But that's just because like I lived on an island where mice and spiders were all over the fucking place. So, I, you know, I just have like horror like that. But no, I don't think I was ever trapped or, you know, forced to watch something that really scarred me for life. I think I've mostly done a good job avoiding. Yeah. Things. Do you remember which which Freddy Krueger and Elm Street movie that I you watched, watched the first or? one, like okay. with Johnny Depp, whatever that one like the first one yeah that movie <laughs> still to this day that's one franchise my wife can't watch whatsoever and i still have a hard time getting through some of those because just the notion of something so uncontrolled and mysterious in itself already to begin with dreams yeah I think that would have really freaked me out if i watched it younger i remember my brother who's very sensitive went to like a birthday party and his he found out that they were gonna watch a freddy krueger movie and his and mom was like driving away and he, he she saw in the rearview mirror, like him running down the street, like, yeah! he like could not like was already terrified, like could not watch it. Um, and I grew up on an island where we didn't we didn't have like cable and all this stuff. So you had to really want to watch something to like go to the local general store to like rent the VHS. You know what I mean? So those weren't my choices. So it just didn't it just didn't appear to me. Uh, in my life at that at that time and now i'm such a fan of robert england and you know we've we've hung out at so many conventions drinking wine and just gabbing about nonsense that like <laughs> i don't i don't know that i could watch the freddy krueger movies now with the same kind of terror that i i would have when i was younger right well leading up to your role in freddy versus jason what was that energy like? Because the fan community, there was so much excitement and anticipation for this massive event. Did you feel yeah. that going into it? Were you aware of it? Was it something you auditioned well, for or pursued? I didn't know anything about it. Nothing. Um, I auditioned for Monica Kina's part. And it's just like anything else. You just like, you get four, nine pages of something. They're like, you got to be at this place on Tuesday too. You're like, fuck, whatever. Okay. Like, it says what it is. Freddy versus Jason. I'm like, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Freddy Krueger. Okay. They're doing a thing. Whatever. No idea. Go in. I audition for it. And it happened. It, this happens to me all the time. They go, I go in for the, like the good, sweet girl next door. And they're like, that's great. Can you come back as the slutty bitchy best friend? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, of course. <laughs> How did I know? Um, and so they literally sent me out of the room for 10 minutes with different sides. And I went back in and read for Gib and they were like, okay, hey, thanks. Bye. 
and by the time I got to my car off the studio lot, they'd already booked me. So I was like, okay, I, I guess I have this job now. <laughs> like, I mean, there's not this, this great amount of insight or thought that goes into anything. You're just trying to work, right? Like, fuck, we'll take anything. We're just working Canadian actors, you know, anything that comes our way, we'll take it. <laughs> you just end up in so many iconic things though. You have a tendency to gravitate towards and, amazing and thank things. thank God for that. I mean, I, I never chose or pursued the horror genre um, but it's it's ended up being where I found my very favorite characters and my very best people, Mary Mason and and Ginger Fitzgerald and and Margot Verger and Vera Stone. You know, all of these are my absolute, which I would never have thought. You know, I thought I was going to end up doing sort of period piece romantic shit or something when I was younger, and then this path opened up, and it's been just like wildly more fun than <laughs> romantic comedies or or really any other genre I could think of. And what do you, um, what do you think that is? It makes it so conducive to interesting characters to play. What does it tend to amplify in terms of performance? And I, I, and I'll say as, as a whole, the horror genre hasn't always presented those sort of uh, multidimensional female characters that have depth and have interest. The writing really uh, from Karen Walton and ginger snaps to the twins in American Mary and, and Brian Fuller and, I think the writing is really where, where those characters shone out of. And I don't know that that was prevalent across the whole genre, you know, for, for the time that it's been in existence. I think, I think those, there were special writers who made special characters and I was just like really super duper lucky to, to land on them. Hmm. Well, going back to Ginger Snaps, I wonder to share the first time I remember seeing the first Ginger Snaps. And how dangerous and unsettling it felt. It, yeah. it it almost like commanded a reaction. It was it's a very unique film in that way. And that feeling was kind of amplified as well by the tone of what was going on in the world at that time, the late 90s, early 2000s. And we, we opened the film with a slaughtered dog. It takes five minutes before the credits even roll. And they're all on top of pictures of two teen girls staging their own gruesome deaths over and over and talking about a suicide pact and the out by 16 are dead in the scene together forever. Now that's even before it becomes this insane werewolf film at that time. What, like what were your thoughts on the gravity of the way that that story I mean, was told? That vibe was really off putting to a lot of people. We, I was, I really only, Emily and I really only got the job because most of the casting directors in Toronto blacklisted it. They were casting it sort of, not long after Columbine had happened, I think. And I think the, maybe in an, in a, in an earlier draft, there was a fantasy sequence, not unlike, oh, what's that Leonardo DiCaprio movie where he busts in the school and shoots everybody. Oh, Basketball Diaries. Basketball Diaries. Yeah. I think there was maybe something like that and everyone freaked out and they, they refused to cast it and uh, agents refused to send their, their talent out for it. It was, it was a school violence thing. And, and people sort of thought it was gross and icky and otherwise they would have cast it out of Toronto. I mean, that's what we do with low budget, independent Canadian films. You shoot locally or you, you cast locally. So you don't have to spend money, you know, flying people and putting them up. But I don't think it would have come our way if there wasn't this sort of nervousness around the subject matter of school violence. And I don't even think it was like the menstruation or the feminism or the, or the weird werewolfness of it, which also was ahead of its time. This was before Twilight and before any of this supernatural vibe came into teenage movies or horror movies or 
became acceptable even as anything that wasn't just mocked. And what I connected with that character and was just, I was an angry, unruly, pissed off for absolutely no reason teenager. And all of working as an actor in the 90s was, I mean, even Ginger herself says it in the movie. She goes, you know, everyone thinks a girl can either be a, 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 a bitch, a tease or the good girl next door or something like that. Right. And those are sort of the only parts I was getting. It was just like hot girl doing this, pretty girl doing this, sweet girl going doing that. And there wasn't, I didn't have, I didn't see teenage girls being fucking crazy and hardcore and weird and dark and funny and violent and, and sexual in an animalistic kind of way. I didn't see any of that in any of the characters that I was uh, having access to, or even just, in general, in, in the zeitgeist of, of media, I wasn't saying that. Um, so I really connected with her in that way. I was an insecure, angry little bitch. Like <laughs> that was just there. I mean, it was great casting on their part because I hardly had to do anything. Leo, your question, man. And I was also thinking um, that movie also predates uh, Jennifer's body and it was very edgy for its time. Uh, yeah, I mean, we took bloody was... panties on screen. That's something that no one had ever, you know, people were freaked out by that. I was wondering, what was a pre-werewolf practical effects makeup process like right before you changed into a full uh, werewolf? Uh, PTSD. I definitely have some trauma based around <laughs> that. Uh, when you read a script like that, you you read it like you you read a book or you read anything. You just see it in your head and you're like, oh, fuck, that's cool. What happens now? You know, you don't think of the seven hour alcohol based paint application and it slowly strips away all of your senses. When Jim Carrey did... Um, the Grinch, he had to go through CIA training first um, because they were like, you could possibly go insane. Um, having all of your senses stripped away from you for that long, for that many hours a day, for this many days. Of course, what he did was massively uh, more intense than what I did, but it, I, I could have used a little CIA training. I was 17. I had no idea what I was doing. We were shooting 20 hour days. We were all very, very sick with the flu. We were shooting nights only for about half the show. So we never saw daylight. Uh, it was the first show that I had I had flown and and done and been like, oh, mom, I don't need you to come with me. I'm 17 now. Like huge fucking mistake. I was living off of like Coca-Cola and cigarettes the whole fucking time. <laughs> like I, I came back and my doctor put me on an IV for three hours a day for a week. He was like, you're fucked. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think my first panic attack, I, I still have like I've I've had panic attacks where I've had to been cut out of clothes and like wet clothes and wardrobe since then. The, the seven hour makeup application process, six, well, five to I think the very late stage was like, yeah, six or seven. It's felt like a million years. Um, you got very high from the alcohol based paints. You got these headaches. They had to build like a straw system for me to breathe like fresh air out. You eventually you can't see because of the contacts are these huge, fuzzy white contacts. Can't see. You can't touch anything because you have these very delicate like finger cloth prosthetic pieces that everyone's worked very hard on. You don't want to wreck them. Um, you can't talk because you've got these fangs in your mouth that give you like a horrible lisp. At one point in the movie, I say like, ask Sam, he's the expert. And I'm like, <laughs> cool, I have to ADR this entire fucking movie. <laughs> you know, I can't hear anything. I've got all these layers of latex and this huge wig on and I can't smell anything. I can't, I, you know, all of your senses are stripped. So you're basically just blind, like having to be placed somewhere 
and having them to have to like shine lasers like in a straight line where you got to go and basically you're just like fuck get me through this day so i could die <laughs> but yeah it was something like now every time i see a movie and there's any hint of prosthetics i'm like mm, could fucking investigate this real hard first <laughs> i've heard i've heard of what you're saying i mean that that some actors like when they get underneath that stuff or, or anybody when they're covered they're, in that prosthetic buried alive yeah, yeah exactly they get that feeling some yeah. of them just stop you, you can't do it and move on you know yeah and you kind of you you freeze up and you really have to work just and i had no prep like no one ever said anything to me about like this might be intense this might bring on feelings of panic everyone you know and i'm professional actor since i was a kid so i'm like you know die for your craft do whatever you got to do get through it but yeah it's something that was a lot more intense than i I had fathomed going into it as a dumb kid. <laughs> I was just like, that'll look fucking cool. I'll have six nipples. <laughs> Were you privy to any idea of it being a trilogy when you did the first one? Or was that something oh, that kind God, of was born yeah. out of the success? Yeah, I think so. We, they did the second one. Um, and I, I didn't put much thought into that either because I, I was dead after the first one, spoiler alert. And they were like, oh, you just show up in like two flashbacks. So I was like, okay, you know, it's the, it's a continuation of Bridget's movie. Great. Like, sounds awesome. It's a cool idea. And then while we were there, they're like, oh, we're also um, going to shoot the third one in two weeks. Oh my God. Which is like this sweeping, epic, fucking yeah, beautiful and I was movie. Like, Hang on. What do you mean? And they're like, yeah, we don't really have like a whole script, but like, here's a 20 page treatment. Like, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know. Um, I hope it's good. <laughs> like, I don't know. I want to ride a horse in it. I think I said, like, I'm an idiot. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> um, but they were like, yeah, yeah. You know, we've got this sweet location for Edmonton in February. And I was like, cool. Um, and then they were like, it's going to be awesome. Like, no, we don't have a script. You guys will be like in capes. We'll have lots of smoke. It'll look really cool. And I was like, okay, sure. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Did you enjoy that experience? I mean, on screen, it looks, it looks yes. massive and can be effects. Yeah. Effects are on board and it's just beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's beautifully shot. I, again, I mean, the end product and what you're shooting is so not in your head. You're like, I need to survive 30 below in period clothing, soaking wet. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's so many things you're not even you're just trusting like you guys know what you're doing you have an idea of what this is gonna be i fucking don't i just get picked up from my hotel and i go to set you just put shit on me and i go somewhere we're gonna do something and then go home and i hopefully eat something like that's it that's all that's in my head usually on set like i don't have these grand aspirational ideas or inspirations that's their job i just have to like show up and not fuck everything up hopefully (laughs) 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 now uh um i wanted to ask you about this josie and the pussycats one of my favorite (laughs) honestly one of my favorite films of all time and you do appear in that for a brief little while how the hell how the hell did that happen dude like anything else we just got an audition for something and we show up and we're like "Ah!" you got to be here on like next thursday yeah like that's there is no grand scheme or plan or thought put into anything in my career in my life it's just like fly by the seat of my pants hope you don't fucking die good luck (laughs) the boo crew will be right back there have been copies there have been imitators but no one no thing can take the place of dracula and now he's back Terrorizing today's cities in his frenzied lust for young red blood. Dracula, A.D. 1972. 
Then, watch an unsuspecting girl become a pawn of death in a game of murder and madness in Crescendo. For lovers of the occult, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing star in Dracula, A.D. 1972. For lovers of the macabre, James Olsen and Stephanie Powers star in Crescendo, both from Warner Brothers, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. I stumbled across this thing maybe two years ago and I couldn't believe it because it's on paper. It's the most bizarre movie that I think anyone has ever heard about. And it's it's starring Ben Kingsley. Oh my God. As this crazy magician. And it's all in this crazy house with secret passageways and Catherine (laughs) plays this bully and it's super Halloween themed, and oh my God, there he is—the great Zamboni. Zamboni. Unbelievable! It's Spooky House, and yeah. I, I gotta say, I recommend it up there with like Hocus Pocus and all these like gateway horror Halloween films that you can watch That's with your kids. It's a, uh, it's a weird one. Yeah, it's called Spooky House, um, starring Ben K- Academy Award winner Ben Kingsley and Mercedes Rule. At the time, there was a rumor that it was all funded by like some dentist mobster money. And like, I had no idea. Again, it was just like, sure, a job. Ooh, Ben Kingsley's in it. And next thing I know, I'm being chased up a fucking three flights of stairs by a 250 pound black panther who's like really ready to fucking kill me. Um, that, that show was hysterical. There was, it was so weird. It's because it's, we get like home alone in this, in this spooky magician's castle right we're the we're the we're the bad kids of the town and we're you dress as a vampire yeah it's like a halloween we're bullying this little group of kids like i steal a young girl's baby goat at some point and put it in my tricycle i was the bully of the town okay there's a a whole fucking story okay i'm the bully of this town i'm supposed to be on rollerblades and look super fucking cool okay turns out this bitch cannot rollerblade so they're like cool instead of being the cool bully on rollerblades here's your fucking tricycle and so i have like this like low rider trike with a basket in the front And because it's a children's movie, we have to still wear helmets for safety. And I'm like, I'm bullying children and doing break and enters. And they're like, yeah, but for safety, you have to wear your helmet on your tricycle. I was like, cool. (laughs) So (laughs) it's like the fucking weirdest movie. At one point, we're spinning in a room and they like they, they made this room on this like psychotic lazy Susan like machine. They built this square room with these checkerboard patterns and the spirals and they threw the three of us in there and if you got caught on the wrong side of the spiral you would fly to the other side of the room and smash your face against the wooden oh wall oh god oh yeah and they're dressed like a vampire and there's you know the magician ben kingsley he has this his assistant this freaking panther and there's this 250 pound black jaguar who in the sunlight you could see his spots his name was shadow and the animal wrangler came up to me and said is is this what you're wearing i'm wearing this sort of raggedy flowing outfit and I'm like, yeah. And he's like, oh, OK, that's not great. And I'm like, what do you mean? That's not great. And he's like, well, it's just that, like, you're the most distracting. So if he goes after anybody, he'll go for you. And I was like, OK, that's great. So um, and it only also asked, had to ask me if I was on my period, because if he smells blood, he'll definitely want to eat me. And then we have to do this scene where 
where we we come in we're in a studio we the three of us the bad guys were home alone in this house they're now torturing us in this stupid fucking magic house we open this door and we immediately turn a corner and run up three flights of stairs and the the cat is supposed to chase us and they bring the cat in and everybody's like uh all the crew is behind the fake wall with the little hole for the camera and there's only the bare minimum of people that have to be in there for like you know murder's sake and they say, don't look at the cat in the eye. He will take that as a direct challenge and he'll fuck you up. And of course, the cat walks in the room and he like. Looks at every single person's <laughs> eye. Like, oh, kill you. You're just like, OK, so how is this going to work? And they're like, well, you guys are going to stand in front of the door that you have to open to go around the corner and run up the stairs. And the cat is going to be behind you in a cage. So after you guys open the door and turn the corner and run up the stairs, we're going to open the cage and the cat is going to come out and we're going to do a little test, see how fast he goes up the stairs. We're going to bloody raw dangling meat at the top. Well, this cat goes strolls around the corner and goes like bing, bing. And he's at the top of three flights of stairs. And we're like, okay, this is great. This is fine. We can do this. This is fine. So we do the first take and I'm the third in line. So Kyle miles open the door. We run up to the top we're at the top of the stairs before the cat has even sauntered around the corner. So they're like, okay, let's speed this out. We're going to go action. You guys are going to open the door and we're going to open the cat cage all at the same time. And we're like, ah, okay, <laughs> this is a, great idea. Like a recipe for disaster. So they, so they go action and I hear the cage door go <laughs> and lift up and it's like two feet behind me. Right. And miles goes to open the door and the door fucking jams. And he's like, kink, 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 kink. Because it's these it's these studio walls. They're they're you know. They're so this is like on a sound stage at this point. This is on okay. a sound stage, right. and I'm like, Miles, open the fucking door. Miles, 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 open the fucking door, and I feel this like this fucking cat has now licked to the back of my leg, and he's like, Oh, it's on, bitch, and Miles fucking so like everyone's frozen in fear because now there's a cat like just loose and licking your actor's leg. And the door finally opens and we are like terrified and we book it to the top. And now this cat knows there's bloody meat at the top. He's like, this is a fucking game. I'm going after these kids. And he comes bounding around the corner and swipes and he catches, I think it was Kyle. He catches Kyle by the leg and Kyle slams. Like he just like playfully does this, but it's a fucking panther. And Kyle slams into the wall and falls down the stairs. And the Wrangler's like, that's it. That's it. No more, no more, no more. He thinks this is fun and he's going to fucking kill them. That's it. And that was our day at work. It was like, okay, cool. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm glad it's, I talked that's about That's a Sweet bizarre, Nancy. hilarious, weird little movie that makes like no sense why it exists. <laughs> and the trivia on that movie is it was like, what it says, I don't know. It says on Wikipedia anyway, that in 2002, when it came out, it was like the highest grossing box office film in the 35 cinemas that it was released in America. What? Yeah, Are that week it was the highest grossing film. Wow. And kids apparently loved this movie. I mean, my kids loved it. I thought it was great. It was it was awesome and campy and all the great it's Halloween so things. You never like you just do these games. As a working actor, you're just like, fuck, I just work, I do things. And no one ever really like keeps you up to date. No one's like, oh, we did this well in these many theaters, because like we have no money in it. We got paid and no one will ever talk to us again. And so we had no idea. I had no idea it even had a theatrical release until just now that you told me. That. That's so wild. Like I just thought it went to some like a random 99 cent bin in a Walmart in, you know, Oklahoma. somewhere. Right. That was, well, like, yeah. Until, I mean, until recently now, everyone can watch this stuff everywhere with VOD and everything, which oh, is God. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's out there forever. Right. On another note, this is really interesting to me. Who was the who was the gin, uh, the, the uh, Ginger Snaps fan who reunited you and Emily in 
another Cinderella story with Selena Gomez. (laughs) Weird, right? Uh, Literally nobody. Um, I don't think anybody on that movie had any idea what they were doing. Really? What What weird sort of alternate universe they were opening up. We did audition together, but I don't, I don't recall how that happened. And I, I, I honestly don't know who was behind the casting of that. So there Again, was no design, the, no grand design. Let, let's no, put the ginger there was no weird in. executive that was like, hey, you know what's super fucking funny is if we get like these two super weird goth chicks from this movie to be like the ridiculous evil stepsisters in a <laughs> Selena Gomez film. Like no one, I don't think anybody thought of that. Emily and I thought it was fucking hilarious. I don't think anybody else had a clue. That is wonderful. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I was uh, the whole time thinking there's gotta be some sort of method behind this. No, this no, I don't honestly I don't I don't recall anybody ever mentioning it. So Emily and I were like, this is fucking weird, right? <laughs> I mean, obviously fans must talk about it all the time. So I know. guess so, yeah. But no, nobody other than Emily and I like sort of recognized that that was hilarious. That's the best thing ever. <laughs> so the Saska twins, right? And they wrote yeah. this iconic character for you in yeah. Mary Mason in 2012's American Mary. What, what kind of things did they talk about with you about the elements that they felt that you could really make pop in Mary? I don't know. I mean, they had been fans of Ginger Snaps originally. Um, they were very Ginger and Bridget type people in high school. They had a very similar, I mean, except for the whole like werewolf shit. They had very similar experiences uh, throughout high school. And I, I don't know what made them think that we would all click it, except that they really just like that movie and that character. And of course, when we all met and we did click and become like instant best friends um, again, that was another thing where the writing was so fucking perfect and so beautiful and so good. I didn't have to do or change anything. There was a lot of discussion about the look and how like Mary looked particularly that I had big ideas on um, that we collaborated about, but I don't know. I think they just saw like a kindred spirit in a darkly humorous, fucked up person that would love that movie. And I did. (laughs) Did they have to do anything to make you feel comfortable with some of the insane things that you had to do in that film from stripping to dealing with that intense level of gore and all that. Is there anything outside of your comfort zone that they had to kind of intervene and go, Uh, okay, I mean, this, the stripping scene, Tristan risk who's like an amazing, iconic, legendary uh, burlesque performer. Oh, Apple, don't let this Samboni thing fall on your head and kill you, please. (laughs) You know, we, we, I'm not a dancer and I've, I've never been particularly, fluent in sexual body language um so it was literally her screaming like tiger 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 little mermaid would be like the hair flip you know like, <laughs> she was just off coach like screaming uh stripper coaching at me um you know so we you know okay and like arm and length and arm and flip and like it was just you know i we tried our best but no i mean i think I think the the thing I had to get over the most was our, our amazing puppeteer, Jason Ward. When we do the Dr. Grant uh, puppet who is amputated the legs and the arms and he's suspended by hooks in his back and he's got his mouth sewn shut and he's got liar carved in his forehead. He, he was animatronic. Todd Masters and Masters Effects like basically donated. We could never that that one piece was bigger than our whole budget. Um, they basically donated that to us. And 
Jason Ward was puppeteering it. And so <laughs> to like talk to it and have it like react to you <laughs> in real time was like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't even I'm imagine. Pretty good. I, I don't like fake blood just purely for the uncomfortable. Like it, it's sticky. It fucking, when it dries, it gets really like, it contracts your skin and it hurts and it's like, and it, it doesn't, it stains and you can't get it off. <laughs> it's like for an, for an ADD OCD person, it's like, it's constant, but the gore doesn't really bother me uh, with anything. Um, I think that it really bothered my vet uh, whose office we shot the um, uh, Ruby real girl surgery in. I remember taking my dog to the vet, <laughs> that veterinary office. And they've been like, Oh, you were the one that, with the thing in the bits. <laughs> yeah. So we don't rent our uh, office out to movies anymore. And I was like, okay, yeah. Okay, well, Apple needs her teeth looked at. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry about the clitoris. I mean, yeah, right. right. You know, I mean, uh, this happens a lot to people who rent out their houses or their office. They don't know what they're, you know, I don't think the. I don't think the little house that we shot how to plan an orgy in a small town in knew was ready for right. what was going to happen right. on their couches. <laughs> Working with the Soska sisters, how do they approach directing you as an actor? Do they trade off for certain scenes? They are a united front. And so if there's any disagreement, they have a little, they go and commiserate and have like a little twin fight in the corner. And then they come back and they're like, here's what we've, and they're like, okay. <laughs> They're definitely very on the same page. Um, I have worked with, you know, dual directors before who do have different ideas. And that can be a little bit like one will come to you and say something and then the other will come and say something else. And you're just like, ah, how do I manage this? But they were always really on the same track. And I think all three of us were very much in the same mindset. There wasn't much like maybe Jen would be like, Katie, you know, and she'd give me a little thing and I would just know what that meant. I would just know what in, intention she was trying to kick up in that scene at, at what certain part. But it was very just in, intuitive with all of us. There wasn't um, there, there didn't have to be a lot of explaining. It was just we were we all vibed on yeah, that. Yeah, you guys all clicked. Has there ever been talk of revisiting that character in some way? A lot of people have asked um, and they're they've always been fairly adamant. Like, no, she died. She's dead at the end. She died. Like, get over it. <laughs> maybe who knows? Maybe in, in an alternate universe in many years down the road, I would love to help them out with anything that they wanted to do with that. It's always drama. I know that they went through some drama about who owned it after who really, you know, had the rights to what. And I think that's landed back in their hands now. So who knows? There, there could always be something um, explored further if they wanted to. But yeah. it was super fun to see you and Danielle Harris yeah. in their uh, scene of evil, too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. the, best, the best director introduction cameo, I think, in the existence of film for anyone who hasn't seen it. It opens up with two corpses of <laughs> the Saska <Right>. sisters <laughs> and then this insane score by the Newton brothers, yeah. who are probably one of our favorite composers of all time on that yeah. on that film. But yeah, uh, that excellent was the job wild on that one. movie. I was like, how do I make this character someone I really don't hate? <laughs> and then I, I found a way I, I, I came around to Tamara at the end. I was like, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. I can make her I can make her fucking hilarious. So as you do. Well, listen, listen, we I, I know we're going over on time, but I, oh, I had no a couple worries. questions about the Green Sea, if you don't mind. Is that all right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. OK, because I, I watched that the other night and was really touched and floored by Yay. what you're able to do on, on that film. 
so yeah, I mean, I urge everyone to go see it. It's it's new on VOD right now. Yeah, it's available pretty much on everything, any streaming platform or VOD. In Simone, you were given the space to do so much. You play someone who's wrecked and devastated, yet so strong. It was really mesmerizing to watch you go through it. I think there's elements of horror and fantasy at play there, too. And basically the quick plot premise for anyone listening. So Simone's kind of a writer dealing with a lot of pain. The reason of the pain gets kind of beautifully whispered to us through the entire piece. You do find out what happens. But at one point she gets drunk. She hits a kid with her Jeep, takes her home. And this thing really opens up. Tell me a little bit about the place that you needed to be to access. What is your most intense character to date? Yeah, I mean, uh, that was a real trip. I had met and hung out with uh, Randall Plunkett a few times before that. We had intentions to make a different movie with a lot more money. Um, and we he kind of needed to make this film to prove that he was capable. This is his first feature. And in order to get all the funds. And so he kind of threw this thing together. And basically, if you take me and you... <laughs> put me living alone in a 600 year old cottage in the middle of Ireland in November. (laughs) And I drink a bottle of wine a day. I mean, it's not going to be that hard (laughs) for Simone to come out. Uh, We really, we really put a lot of effort into the prep. Um, I designed, we, we worked together to try to design these tattoos on her and to, uh, we did a lot of shopping to design her clothes and her her wardrobe. Because that for me is a big part of my puzzle is once I get the surrounding accoutrements, then I can just be let go into it. And the more, the better the writing is and the, the better the, the set deck and the, and the clothes and the wardrobe and the makeup and all that is the less that I have to convince myself into the role and the more easily it'll just come out of me. Simone is one of my favorite. I, I really have a soft spot for these like irredeemably fucking horrible people that you eventually come around to love. There is nothing on paper about Simone that is likable in any way. The same with American marriage, she's not a likable person. Um, this, even, even Vera to a certain degree doesn't become likable until sort of halfway through the second season. And so to find that angry, depressed, emotionally wrecked alcoholic person to tap into that isn't hard for me if I'm surrounded in the right environment, which I was. I was living in this 600-year-old cottage in the depths of Irish winter. Um, we were shooting long hours, long days. Randall knew what he was doing. I didn't know what he was doing. Um, we, again, I just show up and I do my thing and hope that the people in the know will craft something and put it together in a beautiful way which is what happened um i wasn't sure what it was going to be what our what we had on script and what we ended up shooting and that was not exactly consistent and so which which happens a lot when you're shooting independent small budget films and you only have a certain amount of time is is you get what you get and um to see what he crafted out of that is amazing i'm i'm actually really proud of that character in that movie i think it is my mom won't shut the fuck up about it really oh that's oh my great God, my mother won't <laughs> shut up about it <laughs> and, and you know i'm like okay no and i i i yeah I, i'm always very 
trepidatious about watching something for the first time. I don't, I'm usually in a, in a bit of a fugue state. I disassociate quite a bit when I go into projects, especially like Simone, where it was just like that energy was so intense for, for that whole shoot. I don't know what I'm, what is going to come out of it. I don't know what was on the other side of that camera. Um, and I was really, really, really pleased with the end result, like really from the entire film, the vibe of the entire film, all the performances and what I ended up putting down. I was, I was very happy with. Yeah. It's stunning. And it, just like yeah. you said, the care that they put into the world that they created with yeah. the green sea surrounding the characters too, just the swirling elements yeah. of sound design, the whimsical beat shots and the like all of out it. Of nowhere, <laughs> it's just like, there's the, the landscape and the house it's it's a char- it's a third character in itself right you think it's about this girl and 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 this crazy woman but this this environment becomes its own very intense character that has a definite effect on on the feel of the movie when you open yourself up to be able to explore these places as a storyteller and there's a couple scenes in the green sea Without spoiling anything, uh, there's a scene where you get a letter from a mortgage company and you confront the kid or the conversation at the train station with the kid. Devastating moments on screen to watch you go through as a character and for us as an audience. Is that a challenge for you to to come down off of? Like, how intense do you take yourself there in order to achieve those things? And, And is there an effect on you afterwards? Yeah, I mean, and there's definitely like a debuzzing that has to happen. I was smoking a lot of like hand rolled tobacco cigarettes for that whole movie. <laughs> so I'd just be like, okay, great. Is it, are we done that time? I could, I'll be fucking outside and I'm just in the fucking pissing rain in my huge like goth boots, just chain smoking like hand rolled, you know, cigarettes or whatever. Um, and there is. I did have to apologize to someone. Someone on Instagram was like, oh, my mate worked with you on that movie. And I was like, oh, my God, tell Shane. I'm so sorry. Like, I was I was a fucking bitch. Like, I was just as grumpy, just the clothes I was wearing and the, rain and the smoking. And I just was Simone. I was just this grumpy fucking bitch all the time. And I was just like, Meh. but you kind of in order to maintain that level of intensity, especially when you're shooting these these you know fast-paced low-budget things it's like it's just you have to stay in that headset you have to stay in that mindset so i wasn't like being my normal like hey cheery talking trading stories on set i was just like fuck off chain smoking the corner being a bitch and i was like oh my god tell him i'm sorry i'm not like that i was just like i kind of went method for the whole thing because i just had to stay because all of a sudden they'd be like okay ready to go and you just got to like race put your smoke out race back in that house and like threaten to punch a little girl in the face and it's like i gotta stay in that vibe all day or i'm not gonna be able to get there again what can you tell us about you you'd mentioned you had helped out with the design of some of the tattoos is there some that we don't really see close up or anything about those tattoos in particular that said something or told a story about her we wanted like a piece and unfortunately there was a there was a a massive sort of fuck up about how the tattoos were going to be made um there is a very easily done uh method of of like printing your and uh unfortunately production didn't get that together in time and so our makeup artist Fanula, who's incredible she had to hand paint uh we got like a tattoo artist to sketch the thing and and she would put the um the what do you call it, the stencil i guess yeah she would have to hand paint it every morning oh and my so i God. would lie there like half asleep and she would hand paint this this thing and you kind of only see the the 
the stencil blue bleed through a little bit, but you know, we wanted like a big piece here. So you could see that she used to be really metal and I wanted like hand, a lot of just random hand things. Maybe she got done fucking hammered in a bar in Berlin at some point, like on tour or whatever. Um, and just sort of that vibe, like I stopped showering. <laughs> I, I spent a long time like scuffing the clothes myself, like wearing them when I'm doing firewood and shit in my little cottage, trying to stay alive and just like rub, you know, just really like getting that grimy feeling into all of my bones and my fingernails. I definitely showered a lot more. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, again, congratulations on, on putting her out there. Cause it's yeah. incredible. It really yeah, is. It's always, it's always a bit terrifying to, um, to, to go to that sort of full, I mean, she's ugly. She's irredeemable. She's dark. She's like, there's not a lot on paper that you hope that other people can see, but like I can see a glimmer, but you're like, I don't know if that's going to shine through to people. And I really, and I think it really did. And I'm, I'm very proud of Simone. No, definitely. There's Uh, lots and lots of things in her transformation that are completely relatable. Yeah. So as we wrap up here, just wanted to hit a couple things that are on the way. I know September 21st digitally and on Blu-ray October 5th, we are getting night of the animated dead. Night of the animated dead. Yeah. It's my first animated feature. Um, with, one of the producers of uh, See No Evil, uh, Michael Luisi, called me up about that. And I knew some of the other people doing it. And I was like, yeah, like I would love to just that's like my dream job is literally to like not be dragged through the forest with like a rope around my ankle in the pissing rain. It's like it's like go in my sweatpants to the studio and be like, oh, no, zombies. I <laughs> leave. I was like, this is great. I will definitely do this. So that was kind of that was kind of exciting. I'm excited to see the finished product you know because you you do the voices for it and then it takes two years for them to make all the animation stuff you really have no idea what it is who do you play and who I else is barbara. in it with you? oh I you do barbara. yeah i play uh, barbara, um, play, you, barbara. Hill <laughs> of psych uh fame and james roday they're both in it um josh duhamel i always say his name wrong josh duhamel. yeah josh duhamel josh dumal i've yeah. heard it, yeah different ways yeah 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 um He's at Will Sasso is in it. Um, just some really great characters and some great voices. So yeah, I play Barbara. That's so fun. <laughs> That's awesome. And then any I was a little worried because I do have this like oh, okay, this is so fucking embarrassing, but I have this like moniker of Scream Queen, which is hilarious because I actually um lost my voice because of the I was put on life support uh years ago for Hantavirus. Yeah, and you're mentioning that. Um I was in a in a medical coma on a ventilator for nine days and in the hospital for like a month and a half or something. And oh my God, what happens when you're on a ventilator is your vocal cords get really damaged. Um, they kind of grow around the tube or whatever. And, and when they pull it out, it, it kind of can fuck shit up. So I lose my voice really, really, really easily. And I don't have a high pitched scream anymore. <laughs> like as a scream, scream queen, I do not have like the typical, like, I don't have it. Every time I like drink and do karaoke, I'm like, oh fuck, I'll probably never be able to talk again. Like that was a mistake. Um, so I was a little worried going into it that like my scream factor wasn't going to be what they like were hiring me for. Um, and so I made them do all this. I was like, listen, we could do all the stuff, all the talking, all the everything else. And the scream shit has to be at the very end because I might not be able to talk after that. Um, I can sort of start at a level, but, it, but very quickly it, it goes dry. Very quickly it goes dry. 
Um, and then I watched the trailer of it, and the entire trailer is just me screaming. That's like I don't wild. even say one fucking word in it. So I was like, "Oh, phew! At least my screams like they made it through." <laughs> oh my! How was how was oh, it recording God. the screams? Did it eventually go I mean, out on fine. you? Yeah, no, it's fine. It's just I can feel it, right? And I just I don't know when it's gonna. I don't know exactly when it's gonna start petering out. So whenever we do scenes like that where I'm screaming or yelling, I always make sure it's like the last thing we do. Um, just in case it, it cuts out and it, you know, I don't get it back for another day or two. Right. I get it. I get it. Anything else on the horizon for you in the immediate future? That's oh, just trying to survive the actual hell we're living through right now. Oh, this whole real horror movie. We, we were supposed to shoot this great, uh, really wild, um, movie called snowman, uh, up in the Yukon in February. But again, the Yukon's like, no, thank you. No one can come up here. <laughs> We'll not be hosting film crews. So we'll see if we get to do that at some point. Um, I was really, I'm really looking forward to that. Eventually we'll get around to it. But um, yeah, right now it's just kind of touch and go with everything. I have to be careful what I expose myself to, obviously, because I do have lung damage from uh, previous deadly virus experiences. So yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of taking it easy. I hear you shuffling around watering my fucking plants yeah yeah for a while <laughs> down here it looked like oh everything's going in a great direction and now yeah. that oh yeah it's chaos as soon as it happened i was like this is a minimum two-year uh problem and all my friends just laughed right in my face and i was like cool I'll see you in two years babes bye <laughs> yeah no so i mean i think we're all living through our own we're all the stars of our own horror movie right now congratulations everybody <laughs> And one one question, one last question, I guess it's, I mean, you've probably been asked about it a zillion times is obviously they're doing a Ginger Snaps uh, yeah, reboot, yeah, yeah. a TV series or something you know, the details have been kind of fuzzy. Have you been approached or yeah, you probably can't even say if you can't. Uh, no, yeah, no, I, I have no idea what their plan is for it. I would obviously be up for anything um, if they wanted to involve me in that, but I have no idea what their, uh, what their concept is. I'm sure it's going to be wild and amazing i mean it's the same producers it's it's john fawcett and i think some of the producers from killing eve and i mean that combination together after what john did with like orphan black and stuff i'm i'm sure and i think they always had ginger snaps as a tv series in the back of their heads like i always remember that swirling around but you know who knows what form that'll take i'm sure it'll be wild i mean i'm just gonna put on like a really strong instagram filter and audition for and then finally where can people find you what, what's your twitch handle how does all that oh work? yeah uh, k underscore isabel on twitch bros and how, how, how often do you do it I do about three times a week. Um, I try to stick with a schedule. And now that I've lost all concept of time uh, and reality, it's just, it's usually Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday at some point. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> nice. yeah awesome. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for yeah. taking yeah. the time you to guys, do this. You guys have yes. always been awesome supporters of uh, the genre and my career. And I've always been very grateful to you for that. So thank you. Anytime. That was the Brew Crew Podcast, episode 261. Special thanks to our guest, Catherine Isabel. Follow her at the Catherine Isabel Project on Instagram and check out her new projects, Night of the Animated Dead and the Green Sea, available now. Production tracks for this one provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying, Sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. 
podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network Home of the Boo Crew Horror-centric interviews SCP archives Weekly full-cast storytelling Horror queers Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective And creepy For disturbing and terrifying creepypastas Listen free wherever you stream audio And at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts